I love my community. It teaches you the importance of being together even for difficult times. Business owners doing their best to make it through, fishermen and farmers working hard to put food on our tables. Nurses caring for the sick shows me who we are made of. People who care. I guess it's about growing together. Welcome to the Caribbean Property Investing Podcast, where we share real-life experiences for successful Caribbean property entrepreneurs. Learn about their successes, challenges, and strategies to help you create your plan for financial freedom. Now let's get started. Welcome to a special edition of the Caribbean Property Investing Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, and just in time, to announce some special news. We are pleased, overwhelmed, and very grateful to announce our partnership with Bank of St. Lucia, St. Lucia's premier financial institution. We now will have a chat with the managing director of Bank of St. Lucia, Bank of St. Lucia, better known as BOSL, Mr. Rolf K. Phillips. Mr. Phillips, welcome. Thank you very much, Anselm, and it's really a pleasure um, being here to represent um, Bank of St. Lucia. Educating the public is a big part of what um, Bank of St. Lucia is about. It's a big part of our, our corporate um, outreach, um, you know, that we are keen to see um, that the, 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 the community in St. Lucia who we serve um, grow in financial literacy. It's a big part of what Bank of St. Lucia stands for, and we're certainly keen to partner with you in that regard. For, 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 for me, it was a, a no-brainer. I've been a customer of Bank of St. Lucia for more than 25 years. From my student loan, way, 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 way in the early 90s, uh, grad school, mortgages, my first mortgage, my home, and my other uh, property investing endeavors. So for me, I felt that it was a good partnership, good, it's complementary. Um, I'm the beneficiary of a number of the bank's financial services, uh, but more importantly, you know, I find tremendous satisfaction and competence uh, in the relationship that I have with Bank of St. Lucia staff. Why don't you tell us a little, a little bit about yourself? <laughs> well, I'm Rolf Phillips, and I've been um, with the Bank of St. Lucia from the beginning of November last year, so still quite uh, new in the in the role. Um, I spent most of my career working with. Uh, Barclays Bank, uh, where I think I uh, almost all that I know about um, about banking, I learned at Barclays. Barclays was had a really great um, background in uh, in developing and training um, staff, and are responsible for I think some of the strongest um, banking professionals around the region. Um, some of that tradition has continued with CIBC, who I worked with um, for quite a period after the after the merger. Um, my my several of my roles in um, in um, CIBC and Barclays have actually been in support of property um, type of investment. Um, uh, I spent a good part of my early career on the international banking side, um, catering primarily um, not just to offshore banking clients, but we had a fairly big lending portfolio for um, non-residents purchasing investment properties throughout the region, second home um, property. So I ran that portfolio for quite um, for quite a while, which was very, very interesting. Um, you know, um, a little bit different from what you would do on the domestic side in that you have uh, fairly sick, uh, you know, high levels of contribution upfront by people seeking to buy a second um, a second home and shorter periods to, to repay because it's kind of treated like investment property. But that was a very interesting portfolio to run. And I ran that across most of the islands, um, primarily where we had offshore banking business. We ran that portfolio. But then I spent a large part of my, my career I managed the um the mortgage portfolio for the entire caribbean so all retail um, and investment type um, mortgages i ran that for quite a while and then i ran retail banking which is all the branches for the caribbean so i have quite a, a broad um experience to property not just in st lucia who was part of my market um on many of those different roles but also um you know to other parts of the of, of the caribbean where i can bring experiences from you know to the st lucia market so, so in other words, you are our guy and might become a staple on our show then. <laughs> Certainly happy to support whenever you would, you would have me. <laughs> so you, you originally from uh, the Spice Isle Grenada. What were your first impressions uh, 
coming to St. Lucia and look at our market? Well, I've been coming to St. Lucia for quite some time um, prior to now. Actually, as I said, to, I was when I spoke after, I think in my first couple of weeks, I went to visit the branch in Viewfort and I spoke to the staff of the Viewfort branch and was telling them that, um, you know, they, I actually did my first, uh, after I came off uh, the Bank's Management Development Program, uh, which is about 30, 35 or so years ago, I, my first managerial job was as manager of the Viewfort branch, Viewfort and Sufair branch as a cluster, which I did for a short period. Uh, was for a year, but I actually, you know, cut my teeth as a manager uh, of my first unit in Viewfort. So I, you know, when I told them that Viewfort was near and dear to my heart, I don't think they quite expected that it would be that close an experience um, that that I had with the team in in Viewfort. It was it was um, you know um, Barclays at the time, but nevertheless, it was a community of Viewfort which I, you know, I, I have great affinity for. So that was my first managerial job, and then as part of my uh, my roles running the mortgage portfolio. Um, I had salespeople in all around the region, um, you know, selling residential mortgages, and um, and uh, you know, Andy Delmar, who went on to become, who is passed away, is so may so rest in peace, was my head of mortgages um, in um, in in St. Lucia and his team, uh, some of whom are still at the bank here, were very close to me. So I came here a few times a year and went around St. Lucia, looking at what they were doing, looking at opportunities in property. Um, and then, of course, in my role as um, as head of retail for First Caribbean, the, the St. Lucia branches reported to me. So I came quite frequently then, you know, getting around and visiting um, St. Lucia. So I have a, I have a strong um, affinity to St. Lucia. I think outside of of, of Grenada, it's one of the warmest places that I've, I've you know felt from the time I came here. Um, you know, initially for work, and then back to the many jazz festivals over the years. Um, you know, St. Lucia. Is, is just a very comfortable place. So, so moving here, um, since doing my first managerial job here, moving back here almost seems like something that I was meant to do. <laughs> since since, since this, is a, this is a regional podcast, I can't speak of my island affinity outside of my home island. So keep that, you know, private. Um, a while ago, you spoke about being responsible for the second, the second, the second home uh, portfolio. For us, uh, property investors, that is like next yeah. level. So I want us to start from, from the ground up, literally. Let's talk about how the bank yeah. can facilitate uh, persons interested in getting on that property ladder. And for me, uh, as we would have covered in some of the earlier podcasts, the first step is acquiring land. So there are pretty much three options that you have. Acquiring land, uh, acquiring a fixer-upper, or acquiring land and building a home. So let's just talk about acquiring land first. Tell us, you know, what some of our listeners yeah. need to know in preparing for that first step in the property ladder. Yeah, I mean, and you're quite right in that in most of the Caribbean islands, including St. Lucia, the, the initial route to owning a piece of property is to acquire a piece of land. Um, St. Lucia, um, uh, like uh, for most of the Caribbean, unlike the developed um, countries of the world where you never really acquire land, you buy a home in a development that's already been demarcated yep. and owned by a developer. All market is very much... a Buy a piece of land and or, or buy house and land, but buy a piece of land is always the the best route. And um and and we we at Bank of St. Lucia have very good programs for people buying land, very small down payments in the front in, uh, up front. Um, in some cases, you're willing to go as high as 100% financing, depending on the nature of the application. Um, but fairly good long terms to repay. So you're looking at 15 years to repay um, a, a, a land a land loan which which ends up you know to be a pretty affordable installment and one thing i would i would advise um borrowers to do is to start um as early as possible i mean pretty soon after you've gotten past your first year or so in a in a job and there is some sense of stability or as soon as there is some stability there's an opportunity to invest in a in a fixed asset and uh, a fixed asset by that i mean i'm not talking about a vehicle i'm talking about a piece of land because even if you don't even if you don't, um, yes, even if you don't end up building or, um, or, or utilizing that piece of land, what you have continuing to, to happen every year as you own is equity building up into that, um, into that piece of land that gives you the opportunity to then use that equity to take, to either one, um, make it your contribution into buying a house or certainly into, um, you know, using the equity for an investment into an investment property or something else. So I would encourage, um, you know, as soon as you start working and you get into settled um, employment um, to, to acquire a piece of land and the opportunities are, are there. So, you know, my thing is, is that I think people think it's hard and it, they, they, they allow that to delay 
making that investment. But I think it's important to come in, sit down, talk to your banker um, at Bank of St. Lucia, preferably, of course, um, um, at a pretty early stage about what's available out there, what you can afford, which areas you're interested in, you know, what are, what are the costs um, that you would have to to bear. And um, and most borrowers will find that um, that it's not as prohibitive as they can to acquire a piece of land and to start building up equity at a very early stage. If you have some equity or if you're very fortunate where, um, you know, your your parents or some family member gifted you a piece of um, property that you have you have equity in, well, then certainly you're well ahead of the game because you have an asset that you can start to trade with. And you can either do that from a personal standpoint or you can look at doing so from a, as a, as a, you know, as a, as an investor standpoint. Awesome. That's, that's stage one. And I think in, in, in a previous mm -hmm. podcast, I think the first one we would have established that you shouldn't go down the route that I went before getting a, a lot more financially literate where, you know, I, I got another piece of land and another piece of land, maybe four, five plots of land, <laughs> paying, paying mortgages on them. Um, and just waiting, yeah. you know, if, if I would lose my job, then certainly there's no cash coming in. I, I probably would have had to give up those properties. But fortunately, I was able, you know, I met a, a mentor and he advised me and I started acting on, on developing those small lots one at a time. So let's go to stage two. You have already acquired the, the land and now you have an idea of the house you want. Uh, what's the next step for, for that customer? Well, I mean, uh, uh, just to pick back up on your previous point, I think staying in control of, of having a reasonable debt servicing um, um, capacity is, is, is very important. So stretching yourself out to, to, be, to be right on the edge where should something happen you can't afford is a little bit um, risky unless you have you know, some other third-party um, income to support you. So I would encourage you to stay you know, with a relatively calm, especially at early stages um, in, your, in your career, to stay within a reasonably comfortable um, debt servicing. But then you may be in a position like you where you, know, you own um, one piece of land and you have some equity in that, which still gives you some flexibility, so you decide to invest in another piece. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you, know, you have, um, as I said, I would encourage you to sit down, have conversations with your, with your bankers, really look at what you can, um, you can afford. Banks are keenly interested in advising um, you know, borrowers. So this idea that you, if you shouldn't, you feel like if you tell them everything, then they will know too much about you. But quite frankly, um, you know, we consider ourselves to be a community bank, um, Bank of St. Lucia. We're very keen in our support of customers. And a lot of what we do is to provide guidance to, you know, to, to people on how they could qualify for lending and borrowing and, um, and, and the kind of things that could cause them trouble down the road. But we are certainly keen to lend as much money as we can. Um, and certainly, you know, um, lending for purposes like, um, you know, land and property development is something that we have the largest portfolio on the island and we're keen to expand. But when you're thinking about the next stage and, um, you know, you may have built up some equity in that, in that land and you start to think, or you may have started to see some expansion in your, um, in your earnings. So both can happen because initially you may say be borrowing maybe 30 or 35% of, of your, of your income and loan payments, but you got a, you got a bit of promotions, your salary goes up or you've paid the loan down for a little bit of time. And you start to think about, about, um, investing in a property and it could be one or two options. You can either maybe decide that the land that you own is what you're going to build on, or alternatively, you may want to look at another area altogether and both options could work in that um, where you have equity in one piece of land, you could still use that equity, you know, to acquire another piece of land and build on it, um, or, ult or ultimately, um, you know, to acquire a house and land um, and land together. But the key thing here is to be aware of all of this, this involves, um, you know, because, it, 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 you know, this is, it's a lot of enthusiasm around, around buyers when they think about you know, buying a property or getting to the next stage. So it's very easy to make some missteps around, um, you know, what you can actually afford and what the cost it will, it will come along um, with. Like in a lot of cases, borrowers do not think enough about um, the, you know, the, 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 the legal costs that you, which you have to go through to, you know, to put, um, you know, title documents and mortgage documents in place that could take you between two and a half and three and a half percent of the value of the, of the, of the house in itself. And then, you know, if you have some closing costs with a bank, you'd have cost for your plans um, and for managing the project, you know, which you will need to report on to the bank on an ongoing basis. So it's really, so before you start to sit down with you, and a lot of people, they do it back to front, you know, they sit down first with an architect and he designs what they want. <laughs> and then after the design is done, <laughs> then you go to the bank and you try to shop it around because you, this is what you want. Whereas, you know, if you come in um, 
at an early stage and said, look, um, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, somebody can, you can get some ballpark numbers around cost per square foot. It's fairly um, standard in, um, in each market. So you talk to uh, a, even a bank could advise you on what the average cost per square foot is. So you get a sense as to what square foot house you can afford. And then you will sit down and look at all of the 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 the, the costs that you need to to you know to get to get there, and then the, the ongoing maintenance cost. Because likewise, if you're building a if you once you get into a house, you're talking about annual insurance um, premiums. You're looking at a little bit of money that you have to start setting aside for um, for maintenance, which will come. Um, you know, so your bank uh, is in great position to sit down and have that conversation with you, and then you go away and you engage your professionals to say, okay. Um, my house is going to be 21. I'm doing a starter home. It's going to be 2,100 square feet. Or I have a partner and, um, and our incomes have just gone up. So we have a good amount of disposable income, which will cover this amount of, um, this amount of, of, of cost. And, um, and you, um, and you can sit down then with a, in a much more informed position, have something that's drawn up from, from planning that you don't have to go back and make amendments to because you've already satisfied that that cost is going to be within what you can, what you can borrow. And, um, and then you start moving forward, um, moving forward from there and continuing to engage your, um, your, your, your bank as you go on. Once you get past that phase, it's about finding um, a contractor that you are, you know, that you could be very comfortable with, um, you know, to get your estimates. It's, you know, we always encourage, unless you have somebody who you're, you're very aware of from your, your family that you work with and, um, and, you know, the work has been consistent and they can deliver on time. There's a lot of construction risk um, that, borrowers in our market have to deal with um, that you wouldn't normally get when you're buying into a development. Um, like if you're buying into a development where the contractor takes the risk um, and um, and you just pay a fixed price, it's very different from where you manage the contract yourself. And, um, and a lot of the discipline that that, that banks like Bankers and Lucia try to bring to this process is to help um, borrowers to avoid cost overrun risk, which which could be it could be quite significant. I mean, on a house of Say you know three hundred to five hundred thousand. If you overrun by ten percent, you're talking about fifty thousand dollars in cost overruns, which most borrowers will find extremely difficult um, to to fund, and can end up in a situation where the house is not properly finished. You can't get full value out of it. So all those things the bank will advise you about. I mean, and if we if we are aware, for example, you know we'll we'll ask you questions that should cause you to ask questions of your contractors, who have they worked for in the in the past. Um, you know, are you familiar with them? Can you find out from any of these people as to whether this person, you know, delivers on, on time? Is my contract fixed price? Uh, am I sure that, you know, they, all that's in here is what I need? And that's why we would insist on, um, on having uh, a quantity surveyor provide a, a report on, um, on the, the estimate to see, because, you know, if contractors are bidding to, to do your house, um, you know, some contractors, um, may their, their quotes may seem to be substantially lower than others, and um, but and and that may it may be so, it may be a good deal, but a lot of cases it may be that the estimate just does not take into account all of the the um the 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 issues that the other contractors were seeing. So that's why we would get a QS estimate, and it's a little bit more a, a cost upfront, but it's money well spent to enable um, a professional to you know to use um, science to determine whether the the, you know, the quantities. Um, uh, you know that are in that contract are suitable for for the overall cost that we um that we're getting at. I I I I try to, to again you know listen uh, and with with my turn I don't want to interrupt because you yes. said something that is so important and critical. We do things most of us do things back to front right way around. We do a design of a house and then we we yes. try to. Uh, reverse engineer the budget for it. So, so, so my friends, uh, anyone who would have spoken to me about it from experience, you, you tell them, okay, find out from the bank. And, and I realize that you're very, very strong on consultation with your banker. Uh, and I guess that's what personal yes. banking and community bank, banking gives. And that's the benefit of, 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 of that relationship. Start with your approved budget in mind. Get that, get that agreed first with your banker. And during that conversation, that banker will also tell you about exactly what you said, other closing costs, legal fees, yeah. uh, and other administrative fees associated with the transaction. For St. Lucia, and anyone who wants to uh, invest in St. Lucia or build in St. Lucia, I would say about 100 US or $270 mm -hmm. per square foot is a good guide 
of, of the cost of building. 270, uh, about 100 US. Uh, you might be lower, yeah. might be a little higher, but, but $270 per square foot is decent. I know people who probably can build for 220, 200, but 270 is a good price. Yeah. And you have to yeah. get that approved but budget first and then work back with the square footage to know what size your, your house, Correctly. Your, 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 what size your house is going to yeah. be, what size house is going to be. Yeah. And one of the critical things there is that, um, you know, that, you know, generally that, that 270, 100 US, 270 per square foot is standard, is standard, um, standard pricing. And, um, what people don't realize is the standard pricing also includes standard materials, standard fittings, um, all of that. But as you change those elements, as you change those elements, the price goes up and you could go up. Um, you know, it's amazing. Simple changes to plumbing fixtures and, bathroom fixtures and lighting fixtures uh, could have a significant impact on cost. And one of the, the, the challenges that we see is that um, sometimes after, even after we get through this process quite safely and, and, um, and all of those things have been agreed, the, the homeowner goes to the, um, on, the, on the site and they see you know, something laid out because you know, when it's laid out, it looks different from what you see. And they say, oh, this room feels a little too, too tight or the kitchen feels a little too tight, this doorway here not sure that it flows the way I wanted to. So could we change that? And, and that decision, could you change that? It has a significant cost element. So whatever changes you, you, you make as a, as a, as a, as a, as a homeowner after you get into the project has a cost implication. So it's critical that any decision, decision that you make is, you know, you sit down with, um, with, with your contractor and says, what is the cost implication of that? Because unless you're giving up something else to get that, inevitably that's going to come back somewhere down the road as a, as a, as a cost overrun that you got to pay. I mean, I don't know if you see, there's so much um, of these um, fixer upper shows on, on television now, and, and, and you would see how good they are around, around costings. And the minute they, they're doing renovations and they hit one snag, they don't move forward until the borrower understands that this is going to cost, and it could be sometimes $1,500 more or, or $2,000 more, but they make sure that they discuss, they get agreement as to where that money is coming from, and they get agreement if, it's, if there's no more budget, then we're going to have to cut something else. And that's how projects are, are, are properly managed. Yeah. There, there's a show, I love HGTV, um, and there's a show yes. on HGTV which I absolutely dislike. And that show is called Love It or List It. Do you know why? Because of Hilary Farr, the host. She's the one doing the, um, the, the is it Love It? So she's the one doing the, the repairs. Love It, yes. And I've always found yeah that she's cold when she's breaking that bad news because invariably, every single episode, Hillary's going to tell you, I'm sorry, that extra room you wanted, it's not going to happen yeah. because of X, Y, can't, and Z. You can't have which, it, yes. yes. Which, which, bring, which brings us to our next option for, for the typical um, uh, step on that ladder, and that's the renovation, buying a fixer-upper. I've said this before. For me, Rob, I, I am, my investment appetite does not extend to renovation. Although we have friends who've done it successfully and Thomas Leos on previous podcasts, he would have given you some clues on what to look for to mitigate the risk. But, but how do you feel about clients coming, you know, to purchase their first home, uh, a fixer-upper in St. Lucia in the Caribbean? Oh, I think um, a, a fixer-upper, it might, I mean, the construction carries risk every which way. The, the, the thing about a, a new home compared to a fixer-upper is that you, you, um, your expenditure could be more predictable as long as you stay with the plan. Um, as long as you stay with the original plan, your, 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 your outlay is a bit more predictable. Although you could have snags that you can't see, for example. I mean, like um, in the Barbados market, one of the critical things is some areas uh, uh, have um, exposure to underground caves. Um, you know, so getting a, a, a geological survey is a very important part because you could hit a cave that could literally blow your budget because then you got to fill that up with something to, you know, to give you a stable base to, um, to build on. And likewise, you have some areas, um, you know, in St. Lucia where retaining walls are necessary and, you know, you get exposed to underground drainage that's coming through that you need to redirect. So there are issues even for new construction that um that you could have but your expenses tend to be a bit more predictable in, in the case of a fixer-upper um you know once you start pulling things down it can look quite different the key here however is to stick to your budget um it's to stick to your budget and you know you have a proper thorough inspection you know you can't just get carried away from seeing what the potential is going to be i mean as thorough and, and uh, uh um uh 
an engineering re, you know re, review or report that you can have where somebody literally walks through and look at at um at this house and sort of give you a view that one you either need to do everything before you move in or you could do um x amount and have the remainder done thereafter so a thorough inspection is required but a fix up can be a great deal and you could be exposed to um you know to to one a low outlay because you can get a good deal um in essence because you're not building from scratch some of the construction risk are um are, are mitigated i mean i um when I acquired my, my my home, which happens to be the only home, I bought a few pieces of land around the Caribbean, including St. Lucia that I haven't built on. Um, but, um, you know, I acquired my, my home and I, and I, what I did was I re I took really good advice. I mean, I took, I had a, a friend when we were buying, I was scared of this cost in the first case. And I had a friend who was um, a, a construction manager and had him come in and do a full walkthrough and do an assessment of the house, look for any cracks, and he, you know, first thing he said to me, look, he said this house is structurally sound. You could either you can move in, and you can do nothing. If you if you if you're okay with the aesthetics, you could do nothing for a few years, and it's all good. Um, but you do these areas, you can do as much as you want and as little as you want. So you set your budget, figure out what that budget can cover, and stick to it. Um, you know, so so we um, did that. We agreed to the, the cost, and we made a pitch. We got the deal. And then we said, okay, this is what we can spend. This is our budget. And we went through and we went and as a hard line as to what that would give us in terms of renovation. And we were satisfied that it got us to a point that we were very comfortable. But it took some heavy management because, you know, the, the, the person who was managing the project on our behalf had um, had thoughts in her head that were way um, more expansive than what we, we wanted to do. So she kept trying to push us into areas. But as a banker, I've seen this so many times that we I said, <laughs> absolutely not. We are... We are going to stick to this um, to this schedule, and we fought we fought it all the way, but stayed on um, on budget because we didn't change what our plan was. I mean, we hit a couple of snags, but we put in a little bit of a contingency to cover that up front, and that's critical with um with 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 rentals. I mean, on a construction project, straight up, they advise you to put in you know somewhere around ten to fifteen percent on new construction, uh, but if you're doing a um, a fixer upper. 20, 25% contingency. So it means that that comes out of the budget. If you have $175,000 to spend, you need 20 or, or so $1,000 or $25,000. That's not budgeted as part of the um, the, 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 the fixer up. It's set aside as contingency. If it comes down to the end when you've, when you've close to finishing your work, that that money is not used, then you have as an option to to throw something else into the mix because you've set that aside. And that's what most people don't do with fixer-uppers. They go clean to the budget and expect that everything is going to go okay. So by the time they go in and they pull up the drains and see that the plumbing is bad, there's no money left. So that piece that you put aside is even more critical for, for a fixer-upper. I love my community. It teaches you the importance of being together even for difficult times. Business owners doing their best to make it through. Fishermen and farmers working hard to put food on our tables. Nurses caring for the sick shows me who we are made of. People who care. I guess it's about growing together. Yeah, because of your banking experience, you do not have to listen to the contractor telling you, um, Rob, you won't be getting that extra room that you asked for. You didn't have to hear that. Well, I knew from I knew from the get go that how far I was willing to go, you know, because and and again, it wasn't just the contractor; it was also my wife. <laughs> and, um, my wife at my house, <laughs> um, you know, having debates about whether we could do that and we could do this. And I said, you know, no. That I said, you know, that that wooden flooring upstairs, gone. We're not doing that. Gone. <laughs> I, I think yes. I, I think it, 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 it's important for us to to touch on our retention because you spoke about you know, having the contingency, um, as you said, and it's true. It's difficult, it's difficult to remove emotion, you know, from, from your bill yeah. and from the budget. And only after a while, you know, or you must be a certain type of, of, of person, certain type of personality for you to resist, you know, doing the extras when it's, you feel like, because as you said, when you walk through, it's a different feeling altogether. Oh, it is. It is a it is a different feeling, and you really have to go through that costing. And contingency is very different. Retention is very different from contingency. Retention is set aside for performance of the contractor, so it doesn't give you money that you can access. It's money that's there in case, in the end, tract something has not been done adequately by the contractor. There is some money set aside for 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 that to be 
to be dealt with as a contingency in case something that's not done. But uh, I mean, that's retention. But, but what I'm talking about is is, is you having um, a bit of budget that you set aside personally in case something goes wrong or in case you have to make some changes. And that's even more important in a, in a fixer-upper than it is in a, in a construction. In a, and, and, it, and it just means that that money is not part of your, your budget. It's, it's really and truly set aside. And you can negotiate that with your banker and say, look, because um, most fixer-uppers that you're buying, uh, you get two valuations. You get a valuation um, on purchase, but you also get a valuation of what the property will be valued on completion, and you know, and and uh, in, in, uh, valuers do a, an adequate assessment, so you can get a good sense. So the bank gets a good sense in the same way that you will get for a new build what the value of the house will be on completion. You get a value for what your renovation project will be on retention. And generally, there is more equity in a reno um, than there is in a in a in a new construction because once you bring it back to value, it escalates. You know, you get quite a bit more out of it. So you could afford to negotiate with your bank to set aside that twenty or twenty five thousand dollars for um for that um you know unknown that you may come across that you need to deal with that when you pull apart you realize that you know something in the substructure needs a bit of amendment and you know you have a bit there to dip into in case of that you know? yeah yeah I, I didn't mean to conflict the two the two the two i guess issues uh for clarity for our audience contingency is extra money that you have in the budget um to just yes. slags, <laughs> as you said or anything else you want to add on if you 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 almost come to the project, you know, as, as budgeted, then you have the little yeah. luxury. The, the, the retention topic, I guess I wanted to bring up was just to explain to our viewers, which you, which you did, the benefit of the retention, because quite often it's, it's painful when you see 10% of your project, your, of, your, of your budget, your loan amount is untouched until three months up to six months after the project. And of course, yeah. at the end of the project is when everybody is typically broke. So, so you, you, you touch on it, but if you want, you can, you can add a little, a little more because definitely it is it is something that we is for our own benefit and it serves the purpose yes yes it is it is for the benefit of the of the of the homeowner the project owner in that the contractor sets this amount aside from you know granted that you're paying the money out but that money is is being paid out and set aside uh, for any corrections that need to be done before the property is handed over to you because you remember i mean i'm, I'm not sure how much um I know the solution market is moving in that direction where you have certificates of um of of, of occupancy or certificates of compliance um coming into place and most of our, our, our markets in the caribbean are now moving to that standard where before you could it's in place for commercial um buildings but in several islands now it, it's going to be it's, it's coming into play for residential property as well in that before you can go in um your town and country planning or, or or some department of your um of your environmental um, health comes in and do a review of your home and issues you with a certificate based on whether the construction meets the required standards. And St. Lucia, if not there yet, is going to get there. Um, it's already in place in, um, in quite a few of the islands across the Caribbean. And um, and when you're, I mean, although they would have viewed the plans before and approved plans by town planning, when the actual walkthrough happens, you could see, they could see things that are environmentally Risky that you need to make some adjustments to in terms of the, how they 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 built and and uh, and if you don't have that you can't occupy them you know the, the the building when you get that kind of discipline in place so you know but even so even without the legislation um, you know when you go through and you you know you need to have snagging done it's important to see that there is budget that's set aside for things that just may not have you know require some adjustment by the contractor as the homeowner or investor. Uh, that new legislation is going to be, you know, very, very important and, and changing, change, and it will change the landscape, certainly in the windwards, for sure. Uh, because, because oh, it certainly will change when, the when landscape. Happens now, yeah, when it happens now, Rob, what I'm thinking of now is liability. So, okay, so my contractor has finished his job and there's the retention, the retention period is still there. Uh, but we see something was not done, for example, in the kitchen with the plumbing and we are refused um the, mm -hmm. the occupancy certificate what recourse in those in those markets with the legislation in place what recourse does the homeowner have for for to 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 claw back that expense if the the contractor is in breach well in those in those markets yes see in those markets now when you have your construct your construction contract i mean a lot of um a lot of um of um construction in the in the windwards and and parts of the oecs is done 
still based on loose contracts. And then a person does an estimate, you sign off on the estimate and off you go um, without having a formal um, agreement in place. Um, I would certainly strongly encourage, uh, you know, some um, agreement, uh, even in the simplest form, drawn up where it provides some contingencies. And in markets where you have um, those that legislation in place, um, a requirement to meet um, to meet the 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 standards to obtain your certificate of occupancy is drawn into your contract. So the contractor has a responsibility to ensure that the construction um, project can meet that. And um, and and you know then there's usually agreement on funds set aside in case something needs to be snagged um, in that event. But you know I've seen circumstances where, in, like in the Cayman Islands, I've seen circumstances where borrowers um, have had. Um, had some issues um, and, and mainly around environmental safety and then then around um, plumbing and sewage. Those are the areas, the two areas where, you know, there generally is some concern. And, um, and I've seen situations where borrowers have had to spend a good amount of money to get those things corrected and having to wait a long period of time. And what's happening there, when you have those kinds of delays um, in place, it means, one, you're either staying in your rented property um, longer, you're staying by your parents longer if that's where you are, um, all, but ultimately, you're paying your mortgage is now almost fully drawn, so you're paying interest at least yeah. on um, on a very high um, mortgage balance, which you haven't yet been you've been able to convert because now your bank can't convert that 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 building loan to a mortgage until you get the um, the appropriate approvals in place. So you're sitting around and just paying interest to your bank and not really being able to reach to start reducing your principal, all of which co covers significant risks. So even in this market where, um, you know, those things are not yet in place, I would strongly encourage um, to have some sort of a, a agree, not just the estimate, but an agreement drawn up between um, between the borrower, um, the, the homeowner and the, the, the contractor to define, uh, you know, the, the, the terms of the, of the, of the arrangement. I definitely see that as an opportunity for Bank of St. Lucia to maybe partner with uh, Ministry of Planning and Infrastructure when that program comes yeah. along uh, as the biggest holder of, of uh, residential mortgages. Um, certainly, it would be in your interest to ensure your customers, you know, have that knowledge. Now, now, now talking talking about the other islands and for our viewers and listeners outside of, of St. Lucia, you know, please make the inquiry to find out if that uh, home occupancy, I, I guess, certification is in place. But this segues nicely into our almost final question, which is about second homes. Uh, because um, yes. if you're doing multifamily and you're doing and you're doing um, subdivision, you will require a stamp certificate of completion by the DCA before you can get block and parcel and title for those units. So, in, in, on the on the commercial side or on the multifamily side, it is already in place, and I can assure you, already it's in painful place. if you don't comply. Um, I had to tear down a 72 foot, 72 feet deck because I was two feet too close to the neighbor. To the, uh, to the boundary, yeah, feet, yeah. To the boundary, 10, mm -hmm. 10 feet from the boundary, uh, but I think it would allow eight feet, and I think I was probably six feet. So I had to bring in that deck, um, bring it back before I can get my certificate of completion from this year and before I can get title to sell or to move it on. So, so you said that you know you were the second mortgage man. This is this is the holy grail for a lot of us. You know, we we, yeah. we, we have our home and we think of an investment property. Uh, most of us do it do it after, but we're hoping that with the benefit of this podcast and other uh, financial education programs, people can plan before they, before they do their first first building. So, Mister Mister Phillips, what's your view on on, on multifamily and somebody starting up property ladder? Why should they go for oh, um, two instead of one? <laughs> I mean, I very much um, very much support it um, under circumstances where you know you, your budget is reasonable to um, you know to afford it. I mean, you know, you, have, you see lots of lots of um, of homeowners now are moving into a case where not just they have multifamily, but they have a main unit and a small unit, um, and and that's been been it's come to the islands. Um, Quite a lot more it's become a whole lot more prevalent because of Airbnb and the attractiveness of of marketing to that um, to that market segment. But even from a domestic rental segment, there is a viable market um, a viable market there to go after that bank would banks would finance. Um, the you know the, the key is that the test the test performed by a bank in that circumstance is going to be a little bit more stringent because you want to make sure that um, 
you know, in the event your property, you're not just relying purely on rental income. So if the property is not rented for a couple of months that, you know, you, you can't afford to meet your payments. And then it puts, um, it puts the whole project at, um, at some measure of risk. So the test will be a little bit sterner on purely investment. Um, it, it may be a little bit, um, less stringent where it's a multifamily, um, home where you are owning that. But if it's purely investment, you, you would see, um, a short, generally a shorter period because if you're investing, um, for well, a couple of things, if you're investing in, in property and you expect to sell it, to turn that over, then you will have a type of financing almost as a developer, a small case developer where you're looking to sell that property in due course. If you're looking at a, at a, at a rental market, um, then the bank will test whether one, you can support, um, a portion of that, um, of that debt from your personal income. Um, whether you can, I mean, and, and normally what we would encourage is for a person to have at least six months payments, um, you know, set aside from the, from the get go as part of the project sort of a tide you through in the event um, that that property is um, is not rented for a period or to build up to that where you begin right at the, at the, at the get-go setting aside a portion of, um, of your rental income to create this little bit of a sinking fund um, to service you in periods where um, where you can't meet your payments but it's certainly a market that um, that we are we are just as interested in I mean it's about making sure that you do your, your work in the same way and um, that you look at well, one, if you're building a property for rental, who's your target market? Are you are you building close to um, a developed area where you're looking at um, at uh, a, you know a, a, a person who is looking to you know to rent there for a period um, because you know they, 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 there's a lot of employment. Like for example, um, you know apartments around the north for quite a period was very attractive because lots of people were moving there for work and looking for one and two bedroom um, units um, for rental. So that market was quite attractive and then, of course, supported very well by Airbnb. So you need to do your work. Um, there's no point building um, something in an extremely remote um, area um, just because you feel that, you know, yeah, it's great for me to build a second unit. Or, you know, who is your, your market? How many people actually, um, you know, live there? Unless there's some special appeal in that, um, in that area where it's remote, but it's, it, it is it is just that it's attractive because it's remote so you got to know exactly what you're offering and who you're offering it um and who you're offering it to and satisfy yourself in the in the beginning that that um that is good sense in that that you've done a little bit of work you've spoken to you know to you know to people involved in real estate to get a good uh, good feel for what your rental um potential would be and um and generally what you'll find is that in addition to your personal income a bank would not want to see you go probably more than about 50 to 60 percent of your rental income as a mortgage payment because you know it needs to give you some surplus that you can take care of and set aside some money in, in case you have um you have a, a a challenge with um with rental for a period as we are experiencing now in this market but you know in the right in the right area it's certainly an attractive um an attractive um investment i mean and, and look i think the way we um <laughs> the way we interact with a with a home is still quite different in in, in the Caribbean compared to North America or in the Northern Caribbean. Uh, because, you know, I, li I lived in the Cayman Islands for quite a long period of time and then traveled to the Cayman Islands and places like the B like the BVI and Turks and Caicos. And the relationship with a house is very different from the relationship with a house in the Windwoods. We still sure. buy a house and we have this emo strong emotional connection <laughs> to it and don't see it as an, in as a, as an investment that... Um, at the right time, we can turn into money when it's necessary. Yeah? Whereas in, in the Cayman Islands, you'll go up. And when I went there the first time, I was just shocked everywhere I went. The whole island is for sale. Every house, almost every house that you see has a for sale sign on it. And I said, what's going on here? Are people leaving? They said, no, they're not leaving. It's just in case somebody comes along and, um, and, they, and they want to offer the right price for it, they will turn it over because their goal is on reducing the, their debt over a period of time by any means. And as, as far as they're concerned, they can build, this is a nice house, but they can build a nicer one. So, you know, you build a, and that's a good advantage of doing a fixer-upper or building a, a starter-type home, because if your relationship with it is different, it means that you could think about um, putting that up for, for sale if the market becomes attractive, and then, um, you know, getting some surplus for that and building another house that allows you to lower your debt over time. So I think we have to become a, a little less emotional about, about property and think more about property, even the ones that we build for our own use as, as an investment. 
Wow, we, we could we could go we could go on and on because I still have so many so many more <laughs> questions. But but of course we can we can do that in subsequent shows. But my final question to you sure we can. in observance <laughs> of in observance of, of International Women's Day, which is um, March eighth. So, but broader, I guess, in observance of International Women's Month, what what are some of your 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 bankers' tips for women interested in property investing? <laughs> well, I would say that um, <laughs> women are already heavily involved in property uh, in property investment. In that, um, the workforce now is uh, dominated. Uh, you know, heavily some industries are uh, certainly like financial services are dominated by um by by women who have already been um in the process of of buying their own homes and um and and buying homes that they you know that they turn into investment property. As a matter of fact, a lot of the um, the decisions around converting, you know, um, what would have been, you know, garages into studio apartments or, or seeing how, um, you know, the women are very aware of what's happening in the social media front and what's happening on, 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 you know, how people are generating money out of, out of, out of property and, and are in fact the ones who are driving and influencing the, you know, the, the you know, partnerships to, you know, to move in that direction. And they are the ones who are managing these, um, in a lot of cases managing, the income generating side of the property, uh, you know, from, um, you know, rental of, a, of, of an apartment or something of the sort. So women are already heavily involved, um, in, 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 um, in property, um, investing. And as a matter of fact, we'll, we'll potentially with the way we are seeing, uh, you know, the level of, um, of, of, of women who are, um, leading the, you know, the, the, the tertiary education and, 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 and people joining the workforce, I think you will see more and more, um, um, Women um, taking dominant positions as they, as they as they already have in this in this space. So uh, I think they're very much um, very much involved, very savvy. And and the, the thing is that it, a lot is that um, while men tend to still tend to be the bigger risk takers, I think women take very calculated decisions around how far their budget can go and what can in, they can they can invest in, and they tend to ask very shrewd questions. As a matter of fact, in a lot of cases, um, contractors are scared of, very scared of wives, <laughs> because while they can get away with um, with things when they when the wife comes on a project, they don't miss a thing. They don't miss a thing, and they they want to see value for money, and you know, um, and you know, they 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 question, um, you know, the amount of um of 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 effort compared to work done, and they look very closely at. And uh, at budgets, because you know, in a lot of cases, um, you know, the, the women are, are the ones who've been managing the household household budget um, for for many years, and they're aware of all the other things that the family or or an individual um, has to take into account um, that they're not prepared to compromise on. They still want to make sure they can do all the things that make their life, um, you know, um, comfortable, and uh, and they will manage that project shrewdly to accomplish that. <laughs> I, Ralph, I could not have said it better myself. I, I want to give some feedback uh, to our, our listeners and viewers. Um, the women who've written to the podcast, left messages, they, they, they have two main issues. The first one is there's a general fear and apprehension of going on a property um, investment on their own. So we ask them to, to get partners or there's family family members, or if they have a romantic partner, if you're not, if you are unmarried, certainly from a company, and go 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 it go through it that route. The the other situation we have up to Saturday, I got a, a call. You know, one of our listeners was saying, you know, Anselm, you know, I, I I want to do this, but my husband, I I I want to do it, you know, but he he doesn't want to. He's thinking I've been talking for so long, and and what what I what I said to her is is one, ask him to watch the podcast, watch it together, um, or or the first book that, that a lot of us yeah. would have would have read, which is Richard Pordad. You know, she she told me she told me on Sunday she's going to play the the audio version for him to listen to. Our last guest told us that you know he says make the numbers do the talking. Show your partner the, what the numbers are and make that do the talking. Sorry, go ahead, I'm wrong. Yeah, encourage encourage your partner to go with you to see your your, your bank. Um, you know, don't sit down and talk about it yourself. Go see your bank and sit down and and um and have a discussion about what you're trying to accomplish. And equally so. Um, you know, um, see a, a professional and talk through, um, you know, what you, what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, you can talk to, um, uh, you know, um, not just a contractor, but you can also talk to a realtor about what's going on in the area that you're interested in. So the biggest thing is to seek information when you have 
information it takes the fear out of what you're doing and um and then you sit down and consult with your with your bank um and make sure that um that your risk is 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 reasonable and that you're aware of um the areas where you um you're taking risks that are controllable and and and, and allow some um some contingency for the areas where um where the risk you know will always be um be unknown you know you can't button it down 100 percent, but you set aside something in the budget for that and and look um you know and generally, once you do that, you're in good in a good place. It doesn't need to be as fearful as you look, as, you, as long as you've done your research properly and um, and and you have the discipline around staying with what you planned in the beginning. And and if you're going to make any alterations, you have to understand straight away that that's going to have an implication, and make sure you fully understand what that is, and that you have budget set aside for it, and that you um you make sure that. You get value for the money that you spend. You know when you have you know staged payments as these contracts would have, um, even for renovation. I mean, as I said, you schedule how you put you outlay your your monies and you stick to that. And if something is missing and is not done, then don't move forward. You know, don't move forward to the next stage until you can figure out what that is and get it settled. Is that risk? And somebody says, "Oh yeah, you know," but I will, I will put that in order. No, well, if, if it's not a big deal, put it in order first. Because you're carrying that forward, um, you know, without fully understanding what, what the implications. So it's just about having the discipline of dealing with those issues and and and, and getting good advice in the beginning. And it takes a lot of that fair away. It, it, so I think I think in, in in conclusion, you know, we want to advise our our listeners and viewers. First place to do you go is your existing existing bank, preferably Bank of Saint yes. and you have the conversation with them, you know, as to what your plans are. And I like the idea that there's this ongoing consultation um, process and they grow with you um, as you grow. Um, for me, it's also important for you to understand your budget, understand your earnings, understand what you want to do, understand the sacrifices that you probably invariably have to make. And finally, you said it yet again, stick to the budget. Resist in as much as is possible. It might not be possible all the time, but try to stick with the budget. So... You've just been speaking, or we've just been speaking to the Managing Director of Bank of St. Lucia, Mr. Rolf K. Phillips, our new strategic partner. We look forward to, to more conversations on, on financial literacy. Uh, we urge all of our listeners and viewers to, to check him out on, on LinkedIn, check out Bank of St. Lucia, and stay tuned for our next episode as we continue our International Women's Day series. Congratulations and thank you for tuning in to the Caribbean's first property investing podcast. We want to help Caribbean people create wealth and achieve financial freedom through property investing. Our show provides general advice based on personal experiences and is for educational purposes only. For more information, resources, and past episodes, visit us at CaribbeanPropertyInvesting.com. Remember to click the subscribe button so you never miss a show. Let's go. I love my community. It teaches you the importance of being together even for difficult times. Business owners doing their best to make it through. Fishermen and farmers working hard to put food on our tables. Nurses caring for the sick shows me who we are made of. People who care. I guess it's about growing together.